Wow, this is a great number. Um, such a joy to be with you. Such a, uh, an honor just to be invited uh, to be here, to uh, uh, spend some time with this great congregation that I've heard a lot about for a lot of years and to uh, finally be in your midst and to uh, be able to talk about the work of the church. There's, there's nothing more exciting that we could do uh, than just to spend time talking about uh, the work of the Lord's church. And uh, I am deeply humbled uh, just by the invitation to be here. Uh, the uh, sneaky methods of going behind my back to find out information uh, about me from my coworkers uh, is uh, that's, that is a trick I have not seen before, but it, it, it shall be repeated probably somewhere uh, uh, down south uh, next time Neil or Hiram uh, come our way and uh, uh, give me some information you want shared down there and we'll make sure it gets shared the next time uh, we get uh, one of those men down there. But. Uh, uh, my prayer, uh, I have been praying about this event ever since, uh, ever since I got the invitation. My prayer has just been uh, that any, any good that comes from this, just that the glory might be to God. And that perhaps, perhaps there's some little small thing that we talk about uh, this weekend that you take and say, okay, that's an idea, but let's take that and do it bigger. Let's do it better. Let's do it more, uh, more successfully. Uh, then, and, and perhaps there's just some little seed of thought that can be helpful this weekend, and that, that's, that's been my prayer. Um, but uh, as we start this weekend, I want to take you back to the NFL championship of 1960. I'm sure you remember it well, right? Um, but NFL championship of 1960 uh, was the first time that, uh, that the, uh, the great Vince Lombardi had uh, been to the championship game. Uh, he's there, it's his second season with the Packers. Uh, the season before he took over, they had won a single game, uh, and then he takes over in 1959. They have a winning season. Uh, by the way, Lombardi never had a losing season, so they have a winning season, didn't make it the championship game, but second season, they go all the way to the championship game um, in 1960. Fourth quarter, Fourth quarter, there's uh, there's about five minutes left in the game. They're behind, but they score a touchdown. They go up 13 to 10 uh, over the Eagles. It's only five minutes left, and it's a low-scoring game. We've got this 13 to 10 lead. Well, on the ensuing kickoff, the Eagles run it back 59 yards. Uh, that's not a good way to hold them. Uh, and so, after a couple plays, the Eagles go in, score a touchdown, go up 17 to 13. Packers never came back from it. Vince Lombardi goes to the championship game and loses. Now, would you say that's all the story that there is? I mean, if Paul Harvey was here, would he talk about the rest of the story? I mean, you know there's a rest of the story. Otherwise, you wouldn't know Vince Lombardi. I mean, you know the name. So there has to be something else after the 1960. Well, there was. Um, and uh, 1961 season comes along. They go back to the championship game. They shut out the Giants 37-0. 1962, they go back to the championship game again. They took a couple of years off to let somebody else go and have, have some fun. 1965, go back to the championship game, win it for a third time. 1966, the NFL said, you know what? Let's create this thing called the Super Bowl. Let's see how, let's see how this thing works. And Lombardi says, I think I'll like how it works. See, 66, 67, first two Super Bowls. He goes, wins the game. So what happened between 1960 and losing that championship game 
What happened to turning something around, winning five championships, and having the Super Bowl trophy named after you? I mean, that's no small feat, right? Having the Super Bowl trophy named it. What, what happened? Most historians would point you to the summer of 1961. They would point you to July of 1961 when training camp for that next season begins. First day of training camp, 1961. So here, here's Lombardi, and, and, and the, the championship game was at the end of December. They didn't, they didn't used to push it all the way into February like they do now, but end of December was the championship game. Now you're July. You're seven months later. Lombardi's been thinking about that loss for seven months. <coughs> the players have been stewing over that loss for seven months. They come back to training camp and like, all right, coach, let's get at it. All right, we're, we're going to design some new plays. They won't be able to catch us. We, we're, going to, we're going to take this to another level. We're just going to, we're, we're going to be better than anybody. And Lombardi had a different idea for training camp that year. You may, you may know this story. But Lombardi walks into that first day of training camp. He's standing before 38 professional football players. Let that sink in. I mean, the, the, these guys know what they're doing. They're professionals at this. And there's a, a biographer by the name of David uh, Marinus who wrote a, a biography on Vince Lombardi. And I want to share with you some things that David Marinus said in this because I think it's interesting for what we're dealing with this weekend. Marinus said about Lombardi, he took nothing for granted, talking about this 1961 training camp. He took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. Well, how dare you treat these professionals that way? He just assumed we're all blank slates. No knowledge from the year before. So he began that training camp in 1961 with the most elemental statement of all. This is David Marinus writing this. And he said, that Lombardi picked up a pigskin in his right hand and he said five words. Gentlemen, this is a football. Wow, coach. Thanks. That's great. For the rest of the training camp, Lombardi focused on the fundamentals. He went to every player and they reviewed the basics of that position, whatever their position was. They went back to learning how to block and to tackle. They went back to learning how to throw and to catch, how to run, how to stand. And the players, they wanted to get into the playbook, and they did, but you know where Lombardi went? He went to page one. And he said, we're going all the way back to the beginning. Well, was that a good idea? Lombardi never lost a playoff game after that. Never lost another playoff game. Never lost another championship game after that. What happened? He went back and focused on the fundamentals. Something that many people would just overlook and say, wait a minute, we're professionals. We don't need to go. Give us something bigger and better. We don't need to go back to that. And yet, that's where he went and proved to be successful in doing it. This weekend, we're going to spend some time, especially tonight and tomorrow, focusing in on some fundamental aspects of the work of the church. We're going to be talking about Bible school tonight. We're going to be talking about leadership tomorrow and evangelism and, and getting involved in the work. And I hope that we can 
take some things from our discussions this weekend that can say, let's get back and make sure that we are focusing on those things that are just so fundamental to what we're trying to do in the work of the church and let us bolster those, let us perfect those, let us make those as strong as we possibly can. Not for our glory, not for the, the good of the church here, oh, look how great Lehman is doing, but to the glory of God. And so that's been my prayer as we've thought about this and been focusing on these topics this weekend. And so what I want to do is talk to you a little bit about uh, Bible school. And uh, I know you, you probably got a number of ideas about Bible school. What I want to do is I want us to go all the way back and just talk about the history of Bible school. Where did it, at least in, modern, in the modern era, I'm not talking about going back to Adam and Eve, but in the modern era, where, you know, where does, where, does, where does Bible school, where did it come from? And most people, if you go and look up, you know, the history of, of Bible school, the history of Sunday school, most of them are going to take you to, uh, to Gloucester, England uh, in, the year or in, in the year 1780, to Gloucester, England. Uh, and they're going to introduce you to a man by the name of Robert Brakes. Um, and uh, this, this man was a newspaper publisher uh, for the uh, Gloucester Journal. And uh, as as he was as he was going through his his purposes of publishing a, a newspaper and writing these articles, uh, he was mindful of the things that were happening uh, there in England. Uh, and what was going on is this is the Industrial Revolution, and during the Industrial Revolution, um, there was a need for individuals to work, and especially they had kids working. Uh, you know, the child labor laws and all that kind of stuff, whatever. They didn't have, they didn't exist then. So they were putting children into these factories. Children were working six days a week, sometimes 12 hours a day in these factories. Their only day off of work was Sunday. They didn't go to school on Sunday. They were just doing what kids do uh, on Sunday. And they, they were out uh, creating all sorts of havoc uh, in, uh, around town. And so, uh, Rakes was kind of looking at what was going on. He saw these poor children, these uneducated children. He saw these children who were uh, creating havoc uh, in the streets because they had been working all week. What, I mean, what, what would you do if you were a kid? You've been working six days a week and you had Sundays off. You, you'd be doing the same thing uh, that these kids were doing. They're out in the streets. They're cursing. They're gambling. They're fighting. Uh, and, and go back to that day and think about the fact, you know, on Sunday... <laughs> Churches were not meeting inside of a building with the walls closed and the air conditioning and all of that working, right? You know, they, they're meeting in, in, in these rooms that, that have open windows and you got these children running around uh, making all sorts of havoc uh, out, in, uh, out in public. And so though there were worshipers in churches simply saying, hey, we got to do something about these kids. Uh, you know, we, we're not able to concentrate on what we're doing. And so Rakes thought that he could do something about that. He, he looked at the children and then he looked over at the prisons and he said, if this continues the way that it is with these children, then this is where they're going to end up. And so he thought, I want to help society. How can I help society? Well, I need to come over here and help these children. And if I can help the children, then I'll be able to help society and it will all help itself. And so in July of 1780, Rakes began what he called Sunday school. Um, and it was Sunday school. They, they had school from 10 o'clock in the morning to 5.30. Uh, he hired some local teachers to come in and uh, some local women to come in and teach 
uh, the, the children just basics. Uh, he hired a local minister uh, by the name of Thomas Stock to come in. And so uh, uh, they would have classes in the morning, learning to read and write. They would go home uh, for lunch, and then they'd come home after lunch, have some more instruction. They'd have a, a church service with Thomas Stock conducting that service for them, uh, and then have a little bit more instruction uh, and go home at the end of the day. And, you know, you would think maybe in this modern era that wouldn't work, right? Uh, you know, as kids, they, this is their only day off, and they're going to go to school uh, on their only day off. Well, it, it worked, as you know, and worked rather incredibly so. Uh, that as Rakes began to look at what was happening uh, with the children and then began putting them in these Sunday school classes, he saw things begin to develop. He saw things begin to change. And after three years, Rakes published an article in his newspaper, the Gloucester Journal, and just said, here's, here, he kind of gave, here's three years, here's what we've been doing uh, in, uh, in, in Sunday school. But he didn't mention his own name. Uh, which I think says a lot about him. He just publishes this in his newspaper and says, here's, here's what's happening in our Sunday schools here in England. And as you would expect, Sunday schools started to pop up all over England uh, and uh, in London and England and then just ultimately around the world. Because one man looked at these children, recognized that there was something missing in their life, saw the, the devastation that it was causing to the society around them and said, maybe I can do something about this. As we think about um, our children today, as we think about their needs, their true needs, that's where Rachel was, the true needs, not, not the perceived need, not what do the kids want, that's not looking at, that's not looking at things in the proper perspective. What do they need? And Rake said, they need to be taught. But when they're being taught in Sunday school, how are they being taught to read? Well, here's this book. It's called the Bible. Let me teach you how to read. Well, how are they learning how to write? Well, here's this. here are these, these words from this book, these verses. How about you copy these verses down? And so in the process of learning to read and write, they're learning the Bible. So you come to 1824. You come to America. Uh, and in 1824 in America, they, uh, they are establishing at this time the first national Sunday school effort with the stated purpose. Their stated purpose was threefold, to organize, to evangelize, and to civilize. It was intentionally evangelistic from the start. What do you think about that? All right, we're going to start Sunday school in America. What, what's going to be our purpose? Their purpose was evangelism. In fact, Sunday school became the primary outreach arm of of religious groups, of churches, and we'll put that word in quotation marks and you wouldn't know what I mean by that, but that, that was the primary outreach arm, uh, so much so that by the late 1800s, Sunday school, Bible school was considered the, the primary hope of church growth. Think about that, late 1800s. How are we gonna get the church to grow? Uh, how are we gonna get our, these religious groups to grow? And they put the emphasis on the Sunday school, on their Bible schools. And so as you study over the last uh, 200 years or so, studies indicate that where Sunday schools are thriving, where emphasis is being put on the Bible schools in a church, guess what's happening with that church? That church is also thriving. Whether, and, and that could be in numbers or just in, in spiritual health. That church is thriving. Now, that's, 
that's not making up things. It, it just just go and go and look do some just basic research on Sunday schools in America and their effect on the local congregations. And there is there was there has been from its inception a direct correlation from the health of the Bible school to the health of the local church. Is that, is that just a coincidence? You know, so put that, put that, I'm trying to give you little pieces to think about. Here's how Rakes, Rakes says we need to help the children. How are we going to do that? We're going to teach them the Bible. All right, so it comes to America. What's going to happen in America? It's going to, it's going to affect the dynamic of the church itself. It's, and so it's not just making an impact on the kids. It's making an impact on the whole church itself. And so we stay in America, and it's in uh, the mid-19th century that uh, basically Sunday school attendance became a near universal aspect uh, of, uh, of church life. Uh, in fact, even parents who did not normally attend church made sure that their children were at Sunday school. Uh, even those who were not necessarily the most religious were making sure that their children uh, were in Sunday school. Now, just like in England, uh, when it started out, uh, initially, a, a major focus was we want to get these kids educated. But again, the side benefit of it was we're educating them, but they're getting educated in the Bible. They're in school and they're learning Bible stories. They're in school learning about Noah, about Moses, about David and Goliath. They're in school, but they're learning biblical values. They're in school, but they're learning spiritual practices. They're learning about prayer. They're learning about singing. They're learning these moral values uh, about, uh, about how to live and how to make the proper choices. And it's, and it's all biblically based. Now, 1870 comes, and in 1870, things change. Because by the 1870s, now you have this universal education program that's going to begin, and now children are going to be taught uh, in school, Monday through Friday, basically. Uh, and so, Sunday school is not needed anymore, right? Because now, what Sunday school was doing and teaching them these basics, now they're going to get it Monday through Friday, so we don't need Sunday school anymore. So we do away with it, right? We, we, we see the writing on the wall, we say, wait, you know, this is going to fulfill its own purpose, and so it's not needed anymore. And yet, it continued to thrive, so much so that as they continued to focus their their their, their focus changed from just let's teach them how to read and write to emphasize more let's teach them the Bible. I, I, that down, down in West Palm Beach there are some teachers that we have that will not use coloring pages in class. They say coloring pages are for school. They're not for Bible class. And some of you may have that same, that same thought. Um, you know, if, if it's a coloring page of, of uh, you know, the Grinch stole Christmas or something, I, I'm on the page that says, you know, we don't need that in, in Bible class. Um, but, you know, a, a basic coloring page of a Bible story, uh, to, me, to me, is a different thing. But, but their point is, they want to make sure that in, in that some teachers, they want to make sure that our Bible classes are set apart from what the kids are doing at school. They want them solely focused in on teaching the Bible and making sure that is the main thrust. And shouldn't it be? Now, whatever the worksheets are, whatever the pages are, should be used as, as, a, as a tool 
in order to further emphasize the lesson that's being taught and not allow that to be the only thing. But so Sunday schools took, took a change in the mid-19th century from just teaching, reading, and writing some of the basics of education. All right, let's focus on religious education. Now, for the next 100 years, for the next 90 to 100 years, same concept. Some people who did not normally go to church made sure their children were dropped off for Sunday school. Did you ever know anybody like that? I grew up knowing, knowing, that's great. I grew up knowing people who their parents made sure that they were there at Bible class. And sometimes their parents dropped them off and picked them up at the end of Bible class. They didn't go to worship. So I, I'd be in Bible class with some kids and I, you know, I'd be going to the auditorium like, oh, okay, where's so-and-so? Oh, well, their parents picked them up. Their parents, what do you mean their parents picked them up? I mean, that, that, that didn't compute to a, to, a, to a young mind. But that was still, you know, back in the 1900s sometime, that was still common, at least in South Florida, that, uh, that parents, they still had the mindset from growing up. We went to Sunday school. Our kids are going to go to Sunday school. Are we creating that same mindset? It says this, yes, it's not the same as the worship hour. And we don't need to say it's the same as the worship hour. But is it a vital part of our family life? That we don't just show up for worship and, oh, there's already some folks here. Well, what have they been doing here already? And y'all have Bible class first and then worship? Do you do it the scriptural way? Sorry? We just changed it. All right, so you repented and came. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm mostly. Uh, but uh, so, but you know, so, sometimes we, we we as a family, we need to recognize that we have this opportunity to be together with brothers and but even more for our kids to be learning. Now, let me give you one more little nugget on on this history stuff, and then we're going to move on. When these first started, the purpose was to educate children. Uh, Robert Rakes would, would publish this statement in his newspaper on occasion. He would say, the world marches forth on the feet of small children. It's not a bad statement. I mean, that's pretty true, right? The world marches forth on the feet of small children, which is why he wanted them to get educated and to get educated with the Bible. But there were some Christian leaders in his day and following, there were some Christian leaders who warned about what was happening. There were some Christian leaders who were skeptical and not, and even more than skeptical, they were saying what's happening there is not right. And we need to watch out. One of those was a name you'll know is Alexander Campbell. Alexander Campbell was one that was warning individuals about Sunday schools. And let me let but let me let me tell you what he was warning people about. What he was warning was about what was being taught. Let me give you a couple quotes from, from Campbell because his concern, he used the word clergy, talked about the clergy and the idea that the clergy was disseminating their doctrine into the minds of these children. So here's something that uh, Campbell wrote in uh, August of 1824. He said, the Bible cannot be disseminated, talking about these religious groups and their Bible schools, their Sunday schools. The Bible cannot be disseminated without their the denominational religious groups, without their appendages. And if children are taught to read in a Sunday school, their pockets must be filled with their religious tracts, the object of which is either directly or indirectly to bring them under the domination of some creed or sect. 
Even the distribution of the Bible to the poor, Campbell said, must be followed up with those tracts, as if the Bible dare not be trusted in the hands of a layman without a priest or his representative at his elbow. It is on this account that I have for some time viewed Sunday schools as a sort of recruiting establishment to fill up the rank the ranks of those sects which take the lead in them. What an interesting statement. Now, was Campbell against Bible classes? Was he against teaching children? No, that wasn't his point. His point was what I'm against is they're over there grabbing all these children together and teaching them, but he says it's not that they're teaching them about Noah and the flood. They're taking their tracks and making sure they're t putting their, their tracks in there so that they can disseminate their doctrine into their minds. And for that reason, Campbell was against it. Now, take these thoughts and put them together. Because basically what's happening is, is uh, Rakes is saying the world marches forth on the feet of small children. But Campbell is saying the only thing we should be ever teaching is the Bible. World marches forth on the feet of small children. What do we need to do? Teach them the Bible. And so I want to ask, and I'm not looking for feedback on this question because it's just a thought question. But when you think about whatever you call it here, Bible classes, Bible school, Sunday school, whatever your 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 thought on that, whatever you call it, what would you and again, this is just a thought question. What would you say is is the purpose? Why do we have it? Do we have it because we've always had it? Do we have it because well, it's on, I don't I don't know. Do y'all have your your service time somewhere published? I don't know if there's a sign. I didn't I didn't look for a sign. I mean, it, it's on the sign. It's on the sign out there. We got to do it right. If we if we stop doing it, then we got to change the sign. What what are we doing? Why do we have it? Are we doing something just because we've always done it? Or are we intentional? Are we purposeful in it? And if we are, what is that purpose? Is it written down? Is it followed? Is it said, this is why we are doing what we're doing? Now, let me ask you a second question. Is there actually Bible authority for having Bible classes Sunday school? Some people have struggled with that. Some people would say no, uh, that, that there's not Bible authority for that. Um, but I, I want to share with you just some quick thoughts, um, just from a, from a scriptural standpoint, about do we have the right to be meeting at such and such a time and have these groups meeting in different rooms being taught by various members of the congregation? Do we have Bible authority uh, to be doing that? First thing I want you to think about is the fact that is there any stronger statement that needs to be made than that is children have got to be taught. Um, we, we're not going to spend time looking at some of these passages tonight. But in, uh, in Judges chapter 2, do children need to be taught about God and about what God has done? We're going to talk about Judges 2 more on Sunday, so I'm going to kind of bypass it here. But when you have a whole generation that arises who does not know God and what God has done, what's happened? Children have not been taught. They need to be taught. What about Deuteronomy chapter 6? Not just taught about God, not just taught about what God has done. They need to be taught the Word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, you know, in, in verse six, Moses Moses says Moses told the, the told by the Lord, the words that I have commanded you today shall be in your heart. Verse six, the words shall be in your heart. 
Was Moses just supposed to keep them in his heart? No, this is great. I've got the words, the commandments of God. I'm going to keep them in my heart. No, because what does the next verse say? And you shall teach them. What them? The words I just gave you. You shall teach them the words diligently to your children. Children need to be taught. From the beginning of our Bibles, we see that our children need to be taught. They need to be taught the Bible because they have parts of the Bible written to them. Not, we're not going to look at all those, but I just I find it interesting. That's not all of them, but are there any parts of the Bible written to children? Well, yeah. Um, how are they going to? Are, are they just supposed to find that on their own? Are they just supposed to turn the pages? Oh, honor your father and your mother. Okay, I, I think that's a good idea. Are they just supposed to find uh, Exodus 20, verse 17? He who curses father and mother shall be put to death. Would that be a good verse for children to know? Well, how are they supposed to know that verse? You know, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Where are they going to find that verse other than the refrigerator door at home because mom keeps putting it up there and reminding them? Where are they going to learn it? Well, they better learn it at home. Children need to be taught. They've got whole sections of Scripture uh, devoted to them. They, they were included in instruction in the Old Testament. I want you to see just a couple things real quick. and uh, go, go to the book of Exodus. Get Exodus, get Deuteronomy. We're going to look at a couple passages just, just briefly. Um, Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10, you're, coming, you're nearing the end of the ten plagues. Um, and we're coming up on the eighth plague of locusts. In, uh, in Exodus chapter 10, and uh, and still the, the desire of Moses to Pharaoh is, well, just let us go out, let us sacrifice to our Lord. That's that's what we're asking. Um, and so we're, Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him. Verse 2, And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things that I have done in Egypt. Who's supposed to hear about this? Your son and your son's son. So we've got at least three generations that are supposed to be involved in hearing about what the Lord has done. Come down to verse uh, verse 8. Mo, or Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. But uh, let me ask you a question. Who are the ones that are going? So Moses said, oh, well, here's going to, we, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We're, we're going to take everybody. We're taking, it's, it's not just for the old folks that need to go out there and sacrifice the Lord. It's for everybody. And so Pharaoh says in verse 10, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and who? Your little ones go. Who's going are, are, are they going to have babysitters back, back, back at, uh, at Egypt? You know, are they going to have daycare? We're going to leave our children at daycare so the adults can go out and worship God. No. We're taking everybody. Everybody's involved in this. Drop to the end of the chapter, near the end of the chapter, verse 24. This is uh, after the ninth plague of locusts. Again, you have Pharaoh coming and saying, Go serve the Lord. Let your little ones also go with you. So you have emphasis that even back here, You've got the little ones, and you can define that as you would like. They've got the little ones involved in this. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy, sorry, I thought I had that one up there. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And uh, this is Moses is nearing the end of his life. He's giving them some final instructions. He's telling them in Deuteronomy chapter 31 that they need to re read the law every seven years. I know we've got some children in here. How would you like to go to a worship service and they stand up and they read the book of Exodus? 
When they're done with that, they read the book of Leviticus. Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses wrote in verse 9, wrote this law, delivered it to the priest. Here's the command in verse 10, at the end of every seven years, Deuteronomy 31, 10. At the end of seven years at the appointed time in the year of release at the Feast of Tabernacles, when, who's there? When all Israel, well, they're just talking about the, the older folks, right? When all Israel comes up to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. The Reader's Digest version, right? Just, just the Cliff Notes version. Read this law in their hearing. Verse 12. Gather the people together, men and women, and children, little ones, and the strangers within your gates, that they may... Well, what do they need? Why, why do the kids need to be there? That they may hear, and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God, and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children whom have, who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land. Why do the children need to hear it? So that they can learn to fear God. All the way back here in the Old Testament, you've got instructions being given that the children need to be included. And, and you got it again in Joshua chapter 8 when they get in the promised land and Joshua takes that time to get up and read the law to renew the covenant with Israel. And you get to, to Joshua chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, and Joshua does exactly what Moses said. Verse 34 says, he got up and read all of the words of the law. Verse 35 says there wasn't a single word that wasn't read. It's like somebody was checking him, right? Uh, is Joshua going to read that verse? Yep, he read that verse too. Okay, he read every bit of it. At the end of verse 35, it says, who was there? Even the little ones. All throughout the Old Testament. You've got children involved in being taught. You come to the New Testament. And let me just put up four examples here in the life of Jesus. You come to the New Testament. Did Jesus have anything to do with children? Well, if it was up to His disciples, He wouldn't have, right? Get these children out of here. Jesus takes them up. Mark chapter 10 says He took them up and He blessed them. What did He do? He took them up in His arms and He blessed them. Would it have been okay for Jesus to say something to them about God? Would it have been okay for Jesus to say something to him to them about creation? You know, would it be would it be okay for them Jesus to talk to them about their soul? I, I don't know what Jesus did when he blessed them, but it would have been okay for Jesus to teach them. When you get to Matthew chapter eighteen, and Jesus did not one of the, he did not want one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Take that negative and make it a positive. What does he want? I don't want any children to sin. Okay, how do we keep the children from sinning? Make it a positive. Does Jesus want something out of us? Well, don't let one, don't make one of these sin. Okay, but what do they need? They need to be taught what sin is. They need to be taught about the, the need to make right choices in their life so that they don't sin, so that they don't end up doing what Jesus doesn't want them to do. Later on in Matthew chapter 18, verse 14, He didn't want one of these little ones to perish. Well, how are they not going to perish if we don't say something? How are they not going to end up perishing if we don't open our mouths and share the things that they need to know from God's Word so that they don't perish? And we think about Matthew 14 and 15 as the occasion where He fed 5,000 and fed 4,000. What was He doing before He fed them the loaves and the fishes? He was feeding them from His mouth the Word of God. And who was there? 5,000 men plus women and children. Were the children just there to get something to eat? Some physical nourishment? They're there learning from the mouth of Jesus as well. So, Old Testament, New Testament. 
you've got children involved in being taught. Uh, but as, as you continue to look, and uh, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I, I want to get in and talk about some, some practicality uh, to some of these things. But obviously, teaching is the fundamental work of the church. That's what we've been given to do. Jesus was a teacher. He taught. He told us that we are supposed to teach. That's the whole basis of the Great Commission. You read the book of Acts in the early church was teaching. But we're under this we're under this umbrella of authority. Let me share something with you about certain teachers and certain students who are specified in certain places. Acts chapter 2 says that certain women would prophesy. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says women would pray or prophesy at certain times and places. Titus chapter 2 says that the older women were to admonish the young women. And later in Titus 2 it says that the young men were also to receive special instruction. But as you think about certain women would prophesy and pray and that the older women were to admonish young women, when would it be that these women were prophesying and praying? Would it be in the public assembly of the church? Would it be in the mixed worship assembly of the church? Well, it would not be. Because First Timothy chapter 2 says that a woman is not to teach over or to exercise authority over a man, but to be in silence. So it wouldn't have been in the worship assembly of the church. So where, was, where were they to fulfill those responsibilities? If it's not in the worship assembly, where is it? Now, could it be in their homes? Could, could, could it be, could it be in, a, in a different assembly of the church? Maybe on a different day than Sunday? Or maybe a different time on Sunday? I, I see in, the, in these passages, I see something that says they must have had, we could call them classes, you can call them groups, you can call them just a nice old lady taking some kids by the, to the side and just telling them about, I, you can call it what you want. But how were they going to fulfill the responsibilities that God gave to them? If there was not some method by which put in place for them to do that. Now, could they be taught at home? Absolutely. Should they be taught at home? Absolutely. Are there children who are never going to be taught at home? Are there children who don't have parents who are faithful Christians? Do you have children who come to Bible class whose parents are not members here? Well, if, if our answer is, well, it's their parents' responsibility to teach them. 100% it's their parents' responsibility to teach them. But does that mean there's no responsibility on the church? There's no responsibility on Christians to teach children? I, I, I don't... I don't follow that, and so I believe the Bible gives ample authority for us to have Bible schools in our churches today. Now, are they needed? Would you say, would you, would you say that there are, be careful, don't answer this out loud. Would you say there are perhaps some things that the church, don't answer this out loud, it's just a thought question. Are you, would you say there's perhaps some things the church is doing that it doesn't need to do anymore. Maybe, maybe just some things that are carryovers, and we'll talk maybe about this tomorrow. Maybe just some things that are carryovers, things we've just always done, and we're still doing them. But maybe the church doesn't need to do them anymore. It's just a, just something we've carried. If you say maybe there are those things, would you say that Sunday school, Bible school, Bible classes, is one of those things? We've been doing this for so long. Maybe we don't need to do this anymore. Do we want the best for our kids in all things? When, and, and especially when it comes to the education of our children. Do we want the best for them? 
I mean, we want them to go to the best schools, don't we? And when, when I was a kid, that when, it, when, when you talk about kids going to the best schools, it was always talking about the best colleges. But at least, and I, I'm sure it's changed, the same thing here, that's changed for us in South Florida. It's not just talking about best schools, oh, they gotta go to the best colleges. Several years ago, they, they started magnet programs in high schools. And I don't know if you have something similar to that here, but they started magnet programs in high schools where you have like a medical magnet over here, or you have an accounting magnet in this particular school. And so a, a kid can come from anywhere, a high school kid can come from anywhere in Palm Beach County where he's not zoned, but if he wants to go to this magnet program, uh, medical or this or that, he can go to that school. And so they want to go to the best school to find the best you know, opportunities to learn this material before they go to college. We were at lunch, my wife and I were at lunch a couple weeks ago, and uh, I thought it was just high school at that point. Okay, you know, people are uh, trying to get into the best high school so they have the best chance to get into the best college. We were at lunch, and we had one of our kinder, one, a member of our congregation who's a kindergarten teacher in school. And she's telling us that that elementary school where she teaches, that there are people from all over the county who are trying to get, because they've changed some of our zoning rules, you, don't, you can go to different schools without being zoned for them. There were people from all over the county trying to get into that elementary school. It's elementary school. I mean, you're talking about kindergarten. I mean, you're talking about, hey, what's just go to any elementary. No, they wanted to be in that school. Why? Because those parents want the best for their kids. Not just the best colleges and the best professors, you know, for the best future. They want it all the way down to kindergarten now. What about the education of the Bible? Do we want to be? Do we want the best for our kids? Or, well, you know, if, if kids show up, you know, if they're in class, you know, that's great. And, and as long as we sit and we talk to them a little while, that's fine. If, if we're going to have Bible classes, should we not want them to be the very best they can be? Because what do we want? We want the best for our kids. We ought, and, and if we want that so they can, you know, go to the right college, get the best teachers, uh, so they, they can go off to a, another specialty school and get into med school or whatever it is so they can have a good successful life if we want all of that for them in that education why do we not want it in their bible education why do we not want them to learn everything they can about the bible and the lord while they are here with us before they leave why else why else is bible school needed because of the godless society that we live in and the ever-increasing godlessness of our society when you think about the crime that is in our society. When you think about the immorality that is in our society, you think about the divorce rate, when you think about the ever-increasing perversions that are all around us and becoming the norm, guess what we need? Strong Bible classes. That's what we need. Our kids are facing this. Now, notice this word. All of these things are ever-increasing. What's increasing? Crime, immorality, divorce, and, and you, you could add in that list of things. Perversions. All of those are ever increasing. Guess what's happening on the other side of the equation? Church membership and church involvement is decreasing. Does that sound like a good formula? For all of this immorality and perversions to be growing and increasing and becoming the norm. And oh yeah, on the other side, church involvement, yeah, that's just not a thing anymore. What did the Lord say? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder if he could say that again. 
And our schools, obviously, they no longer teach about God. They don't teach the Bible. They don't teach religious morality. In fact, obviously, today they are teaching just the opposite, aren't they? It's not that they, you know, there was a time when they taught it, right? And then they took it away, and there was a time when they just didn't teach it. But what are they doing now? Teaching against it. Teaching against God and biblical morality. And so where are we today? Are they not, they're no longer allowed to pray, obviously. They're no longer allowed to even talk about their Christian faith. And there are consequences if you do, especially if you're a teacher or a coach. And yet, here we are living in a society where, where schools are where they are and where homes are struggling. Um, I'm not sure that in our nation we have seen what we are seeing today in our homes. Uh, life just seems to be more complex than it used to be uh, for our families. And the, the norm today, the, the, the home environment today that has, that has become the norm are broken homes, and specifically what kind of broken homes? Those broken homes that are either single-parent homes or cohabitation. Those are now the most prevalent type of family unit for a child to grow up in, either a single parent home or a cohabitation situation. Majority of children are growing up in one of those situations. Do we need strong Bible classes? I believe that there is a desperate need for them. And there's a desperate need because our children need a personal relationship with Jesus. They need a deep love for Jesus. They need a greater knowledge of the Bible. They need a desire sparked within them to serve in the church. They need a passion for living for Christ. They need a constant awareness of lost souls. And I believe the Bible school is ready made. Strong, purposeful, intentionally based Bible schools, I believe, are ready made to fulfill every one of those needs. And I hope you do too. I spent a lot of time in the first part of this talking about history, talking about authority, uh, talking about the need. Because I, I, as I thought about this lesson, I'm like, we've we got to have some foundation for what we're talking about. And I, I have, in, in, even just in the last few minutes talking up here, I've had churned within me even more a passion to say, wait a minute, I want to make sure that the Bible schools where I am are exactly what they, and, and are the most the most they can be, that we're doing the best that we can for our life. Why would we do anything less than that? Now, I know what happens. I know what happens. You know, you, you, you get a Bible school program. You get teachers involved. You know, you get the same teachers, and they're, they're teaching the same thing. And you just get kind of going in a, kind of in a, in a group. And, and it's not a bad thing. It, it's, it's, been, it's been working for decades, and we just keep going, and we keep doing it. And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But are we doing everything that we can do to make the Bible school program as strong as it can be for our kids who are facing this. How many of our kids are getting regular Bible instruction outside of the church? I don't know the answer to that question. But what can we provide? We can provide that Bible education. I want to take just a few minutes, and I, I didn't want to spend a lot of time doing this because I, I, I get uncomfortable talking about um, what we are doing, although we're going to spend some time tonight and tomorrow doing some of that, just giving you some ideas. And, and so I'm going to share with you something that we are doing down at the Palm Beach Lakes Congregation. 
now our children's education program. And, and when I do this, what I want to tell you tonight, what I want to tell you tomorrow is if I'm ever talking about something that we're doing, I'm not saying, hey, look, this is great. You should do this. We have figured it all out. <laughs> None of that, okay? I'm saying, hey, look, here's some ideas. Go and do it better. Take something here and go and do something even even more uh, for the Lord. Don't don't just say, oh, well, that, that that's a great idea. We'll just kind of, there, there's there are ways to do what we're doing so much better. So um, please don't take this as, as David thinks the, this is the only way uh, to do things. But back in uh, back in 2010, so back 13 years ago, Palm Slate's congregation, a group of us got together and we decided to do something that we had been talking about doing for decades. We just never pulled the trigger on. We never decided to do it. We had been talking for decades about writing our own children's Bible class curriculum. But every time some of us would talk about it, we'd be like, you know, no, no, we're not going to do it. You know, it's a great idea. We'd love to do it. Wonderful thought, but do you have any idea how much work that is? No. We're not. We're not, uh, we're not doing that. We're not getting to that. Should we do it? Yes. You know, could we do it? Probably. Are we going to do it? No way are we going to do that. That's just way too big of a project. Well, 2010, group of us got together and uh, started talking more seriously about it and got over that hurdle of we're not going to do this and started thinking okay we need to do this and so talking about needing to do this we said okay how are we going to do this what are we going to do and we were willing at least and we finally got to this point I guess probably weren't there at the beginning but we were willing to think outside of the box when it comes to Bible class. We were willing to think outside of the box in order to get our kids inside the Word. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that you stop teaching the Bible. I don't mean you start doing something that doesn't have biblical authority. None of that at all. But Bible class, Bible classes, Bible school, is an expedient. It is something that we have created to teach children the Bible. And as an expedient, that means we can do this any way that we want to do it. Don't misunderstand. Don't, mis don't mishear what David's saying. We're under biblical authority. Everything we do has to have Bible authority. But the way that you do go about the Bible, we, we're, but we had always been doing the same thing over and over for decades. Well, why would we ever change it? And so we, we, started, we started looking around at... Uh, at some other congregations that were doing things a little differently uh, than just kind of the normal Bible school program. And we saw some things we liked. We saw some things that we really didn't like. Uh, that just, they didn't fit us, all right? And, that, and that's the thing. And that's what we're doing may not fit here. That's what I've told other people is it fits us. It works great for us. But, you know, my shoes probably wouldn't fit on your feet either. So, I mean, you, you got to find something that, that works for you. Uh, we, we saw one congregation that uh, they'd taken their children's hallway they had taken a classroom. They had totally transformed that classroom into a movie theater. Real movie theater, real movie seats, the, you know, the fold-down seats, you know, popcorn machine and everything. And the kids, during Bible class, the kids would go in here for a period of time, and they would watch a Bible film, all right? They, they'd pop a VHS tape in the player and put it up on the screen, right? But they're, they, but they're immersed like they're in a movie theater. We thought that, was it. that, that wasn't for us. It didn't fit us. But okay, that's that's thinking outside the box. Um, they they also had a cafe as one of their rooms. They had a cafe where the kids would go and sit at high top tables 
you know, like they and, and they they would have their their little uh, their little cup of tea or little you know I, you know they had a cup of juice is what they had. But you know they're sitting at these high top tables and they're hearing a Bible lesson. They'd seen their parents sit at high top lessons and coffee. So I mean, again, interesting concept. Was wasn't what we were looking for, but these were people that were just they they were thinking you know they they had one room that was an art studio. They thought, hey, we have our kids drawing pictures in class. So they created a whole room, and all it was was an art studio. They would go in there, and they would draw, they would sculpt, they would do something, you know, craft of some kind that was that was, you know, Bible based, based on their Bible class. So again, it didn't fit us, but it got us think. Wait a minute, okay. So you can do things a little bit differently. Think outside of the box to get them inside of the Word. And so we we came up with what we call our, our children's education program is called stepping into the Bible. And uh, I want to share with you just a few things. And I, I recognize the time. Don't worry, I've got a clock up here. Um, I, I notice you are a, a good, sound congregation. There is no clock in this room. I love that. <laughs> love that. We don't have one in our, in, in our building either. I love it. But I've, I've got it up here. Uh, I'm, I'm watching the time. But um, I, I want to share with you just a few things that we're doing, maybe to give you some, some thoughts that you could take and, and, and maybe run with on something. But I, I want to share with you what we want. Um, you know, we, we sat down, and if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna write our own curriculum, we've got a blank sheet of paper, right? We we can again, we're gonna teach the Bible. And I'm gonna talk about that. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we can do this any way we want to do it. So we essentially sit down with a blank piece of paper and say, okay, what do we want in our Bible class program? And so what we wanted was an effective, personalized. Notice the all caps word Bible teaching program. All right, that that was non-negotiable. All right, we're gonna we. But what we want is we want our children to know the Bible, love the Bible, and live the Bible. It's got to be Bible-centered, Bible-focused, Bible-saturated, every bit of it. Okay, that's what we want. But that's number one on the list. Some of these others are not necessarily ranked, but that one is number one on the list. Number two, we wanted a curriculum that truly fit our needs, and it got our parents involved. Um, before this, and when I'm talking about children's curriculum, this, this is from age three to grade five, so you've got a concept. Age three to grade five is what we have in stepping into the Bible. And uh, up until that point, um, we kind of had a hodgepodge of a lot of different curriculums from a lot of different publishers. Because maybe we're weird, uh, we're, we're in South Florida, of course we're weird, right? Uh, but you know, we're, we, just, we, we didn't find a curriculum that fit us. You know, there are a lot of good curriculums out there. We just didn't find one that was 100% working for us. So we, we, put, we pulled a piece from this publisher, this publisher, this, you know, and, and so it was just a hot pot. So what are you teaching this quarter? Oh, well, yeah, I, I taught one from that group before. And so it was, it wasn't, there was no consistency. There, I mean, there was consistency, but there was no consistency to it. We wanted something consistent. We wanted something that, that was that was consistent in its format, consistent in its in its design. That when you looked at it, you knew, okay, this is what this is. This is this is at the our education program. It's not some random book just sitting around uh, that somebody we we know what this is. But what we really wanted for our kids is we wanted an immersive experience for them. That's why we call it stepping into the Bible. We wanted an immersive experience for them. So that when they came to Bible class, they were immersed, they were taught the Bible in a Bible setting. Not just in a room. They were taught the Bible in a Bible setting. And what got our minds working in this direction even more 
is we were doing that for our vacation Bible school. In our vacation Bible schools, we, we would take four classrooms in our vacation Bible school and we would totally renovate the entire room. We pull out every piece of furniture, there would be nothing left in the room, and we would just redesign the room. I mean, there was one year that they, they were teaching Jonah. You walked into this classroom, you were inside of the belly of Jonah's big fish. How would you like? I mean, I don't think they had the smells, but they had the visual going on, right? But I mean, so, but that was the room. You know, there, there was a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego room with, with, you know, you're inside the fiery furnace. You know, it was, but that was vacation Bible school. And we did it for four rooms for four days out of the year. And then we tear it all down and, you know, go back to regular Bible classes. And we just said, wait a minute. If we put all of that energy into four days, four nights a year, why don't we put that same focus on 52 weeks? Out of the, if it's worthwhile for vacation Bible school, why aren't we doing it all the time? Now, the reason we're not doing it all the time is because of the magnitude, right? We can handle four days, David, but 52 weeks, give me a break. We can't do that. Why not? Again, we'd already crossed the hurdle of, we, you know, we're, we're never going to do this. Nope, we're, we're going to do this. How can we do this? We wanted this immersive experience for the kids to be inside of a Bible setting from the time they entered the hallway going down to their Bible class. We wanted them surrounded by the Bible. We wanted a, com we wanted a complete teaching resource. Um, what do I mean by that? We wanted to be able to put into the teacher's hands everything they would need to teach, period. No, they, they didn't need anything else. We wanted to put into the teacher's hand, look, here's everything you need to teach. Make it easier for our teachers. Make it easier to get teachers. Be able to say, look, I know you've never taught before, but look, here's something. This is every, this is, you don't need to go anywhere else. I mean, you can. We're not telling you not to. You don't, this is everything you need to walk in and teach this class. Uh, now, uh, another, another, big, another big concept, but that's what we want. We wanted something that, uh, could guarantee consistency across the board, from lesson to lesson, to teacher to teacher, uh, to uh, uh, just that, that it would have the same flow, the same the same concept all the way through. That's that's what we wanted. We wanted an opportunity for many members to get involved. We already had a lot of members involved. We wanted another opportunity to get even more members involved. And so here's our mission statement for our Stepping to the Bible program. Our state our mission is to develop and strengthen a living faith in the hearts of our children by walking them into the settings, narratives, and truths of the living messages of God's Word. So, what does this look like? Uh, what, what have we done? Here's the, uh, here's the approach we've taken. Um, here's, how, here's how we developed this. We started this by just this concept. And our concept, the concept that we wanted is we wanted the classrooms transformed. We wanted the, the, the whole setting, a Bible setting, we wanted it transformed so that they stepped in. Yeah, it's a room with the door on it, but wow, I'm in a completely different place now. That's what we wanted. We also wanted the kids to be able to rotate so that they would be able to experience all of the rooms that had been done. So we have, from age three to grade five, we've got five classrooms. Every congregation would have more or less than that, perhaps, maybe the same number. But we combined some of them, like three and four year, three and four year olds are together, fourth and fifth grades together, I don't remember. Some of them com are combined, some are separate. But from age three to grade five, we've got five classrooms that are used. So we've got five rooms that we want to transform. 
Now, we want all of those kids to go to all of those classrooms before we have to change them out. And so what we decided, what, well, what, I'm talking about the concept here, but what the concept was we want the kids to rotate and to go to each one of these rooms so that they get to be immersed, they get to experience whatever's happening in those rooms. And so what we ended up doing is that they rotate every four weeks. Every one of those groups of kids is in one of those five rooms for a, for a period of four weeks. Uh, for instance, uh, the very first teaching session we have, there is a creation room. So one of the five rooms is creation room. So the whole room is about creation. There's an Adam and Eve room. So you walk in, and they're going to learn four. They're going to learn four lessons in creation. They're going to learn four less four lessons about Adam and Eve. There's a Noah room. So they walk into the flood, and they're going to be taught four weeks, four lessons on Noah. Uh, there's a room for Abraham, and then the fifth room in that first teaching group uh, uh, timing is uh, Abraham and Isaac. And so there's four lessons on that. And so you figured out the math. Twenty weeks. So for twenty weeks, the kids are going through these five rooms. And they're immersed in these settings. They're learning inside, and they're seeing these things that that help to bring that to life. And that's that's what we wanted them. That's what we wanted them to be able uh, to experience. Now, what's the curriculum? Obviously, the curriculum is the Bible. Uh, one of the one of the most enjoyable experiences that I had with this was sitting down with our curriculum team and saying, "Okay, what do we want to teach?" And guess what we did? We all just opened our Bibles. And we did not know how many we were going to come up with. We ended up, when we were done, we came up with 280 lessons um, that, uh, that we said, we, we got to teach these to our kids. 280 lessons. That took us a while uh, to, uh, to, ne- to figure all of that out going through the library. So concept, different rooms, immersed in there, rotate. What, what are we going to teach them? We're going to teach them the Bible, and here's the lessons that we're going to teach them. So... What was our course of action? I'm trying to give this to you in, in groupings that make sense to me. Maybe they don't make sense to you. I'm trying to make sense out of them. We created a curriculum team. Curriculum team, you got it, was in charge of writing the curriculum. Uh, involved in every one of the lessons, this curriculum team, not the whole team, but the writers, they wrote 280 lessons. <coughs> Is that a lot? <laughs> they didn't know it was going to be 280, but they did. They wrote 280 lessons. Every single one of those lessons has the same format, the same look. Every one of them has an objective. What is this lesson supposed to accomplish? Every one of them has a scripture reference. Teacher, what do you need to go read to get ready for this class? Go read Exodus chapter 3 and 4, whatever it is. That's the scripture reference for this lesson. Every one of them has a memory verse. Here's the memory verse for this lesson, 280 of them. Every one of them has got to have that memory verse. Every one of them has some key facts, anywhere from 7 to 10. Key facts. These are the key things we want these kids to know when they leave this room. Uh, coupled with that are review questions. However many key facts there are, here's the review questions. And those review questions are asking the question, where's the answer? It's in the key fact that's carried over. Uh, that, that, that's what they need to learn. Every one of those lessons has a, a one-page narrative. Not longer, not shorter. A one-page narrative. A summary. A paraphrase of the Bible story written, written on a child's level so that the teacher has an idea Here, here's what I need to convey. It has discussion questions for the older kids so that they can have some application uh, that they can talk about. Um, and then it has suggested songs. Children's songs that would fit this particular lesson. Um, and so curriculum team, that was their job. Their job was to, to write these lessons. 
That information, once it was written, it was passed off to the classroom committee. Classroom committee had an idea, okay, we're going to have a NOAA room, but when they got the four lessons on NOAA, oh, okay, that's what we need to make sure is in this room. That's what we need to make sure is emphasized in this room. And so the classroom committee got the curriculum, and they, they worked on de developing all of these classes, um, and there would be, uh, what's 14 times 5? 70. So they, they created 70 classrooms. Um, is, is what it ended up being in order to immerse the kids uh, in, into those Bible uh, those Bible settings. And then we had a teaching a, a hallway committee. And what the hallway committee did, all of our classrooms, it looked like a lot of yours were down that hallway over there. Um, all of our children's classrooms are down a single hallway. We had we had some people come in, and some of our members they painted a mural from one end of the hallway to the and wrap back around, and it went from. It went from the Garden of Eden, and you can see all these Bible stories in a mural, and it ends up with the empty tomb of Jesus. But they were in charge of figuring all of that out. And then we had a teaching resources committee. Teaching resources committee, their job was to take the curriculum that had been written by the curriculum committee and say, okay, what do we need to reinforce the curriculum? Two things. One thing would be the props, the visual aids that you have to have for the kids, the tangible things for them to put their hands on, the, uh, the flannel graph, you know what I'm talking about, you know, but not just flannel graph, just props. What can we do? What can we create, buy, uh, get somebody to make, you know, things that will help to let the kids see these things. That was the one thing, just the, the props, the visual aids. The second thing is the handwork, the, the pieces of paper, the coloring sheets, the puzzles, uh, the, uh, the, the, the various worksheets, activity sheets, whatever you want to call them that the kids do as a way of reviewing of what they have learned. This group, this group's responsibility was to go through, back in the day, and uh, is my, is my, yeah, back in the, we, we've got a huge media center, and we've got one full shelf that probably got three or four hundred coloring books, activity books, worksheet books, you know what I'm talking about, those, those books you get from Bible classes, we probably had three or four hundred of them. And back in the day, we would have teachers come in, oh, I've got, I've got to teach whatever lesson today, and they would just stand in front of the shelf like, oh, where do I even start? You know, pull off this book. Nope, nothing in this book, put it back. Pull off, oh, well, there's one, maybe that'll work. And they walk, and, and they would spend hours just standing in front of this. So we wrote to publishers, we got permission to make copies, uh, and so we were able to pull from those things so the teachers don't have to stand in front of that shelf again. Remember what I said? We wanted a complete package that we could put in the teacher's hands that says this has everything that you need to walk into a classroom and to teach. So that, that, was, that was our approach. That, that's kind of what we wanted to happen. And so let me briefly just tell you who we got involved and maybe this will give you a little more information. I'm trying, I'm trying to give you an overview. Neil told me not to get into the nuts and bolts, okay? So uh, those were his exact words. Uh, so. Just trying to give you an overview, and I'm mindful of the time, and we're almost done. Um, let me tell you who we, who we got involved in this. There were some roles in the creation of this. There was a team leader. Uh, this was uh, our education deacon, who eventually became an elder, uh, who has education experience himself. He was our team leader, and he drove this whole, this whole project. We had the curriculum team. I've talked about some of these already. They selected the Bible lessons. We had the writers. There were only a couple, three people who were actually doing the writing of each of the lessons. We had an editor who was overseeing the, the development, uh, the lesson development, compiling uh, 
everything together, bringing the lesson plans together, uh, bringing each component of those lesson plans together, bringing the handwork together uh, in one place. We had the room decorators, uh, we had the hallway artists, we had the media center coordinators. These were the people collecting the teaching resources. We had handwork coordinators. These were the people collecting all of those uh, pieces of uh, activity sheets and worksheets, coloring pages. And then we also had singers. And we had a group of singers because we got suggested songs as a part of the lesson plan. But we're in South Florida. We sing the kids' songs right. <laughs> and, and, and people come in from other places and they don't sing them right. They sing them in other, in other ways. And they've got different versions and different words. It's like, no, 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 you can't sing them that way. So we got, we got a, a handful of singers together who sat down with, with these microphones and recorded, I wish I had counted up the number of songs. I think it's 200. Uh, I think it's 200 songs. They're not all children's songs. Some of them are some of our worship songs that we brought in as well. Something like 200 songs, I can't remember. But they sat with the microphones and they sang these songs so that the teacher, a teacher may look at this and, and, and say, I don't know the hippo song. I, I don't know the, the fuzzy caterpillar song. What are we talking about? They could go and listen to the song. Oh, that's the song. And they could sing it with the kids. Uh, in class. Um, so that's who was involved in the development. Uh, here's who's involved in the continuing operation of it. We've got our a director who's basically now our deacon of education who manages uh, the whole program. We've got media center oversight who just makes sure our media center is continually stocked with what is needed. We have a media center liaison. This is a person who goes to the teachers every Sunday morning. You have what you need? You need anything else? What can I get for you today? Teachers don't have to go anywhere. They've got this liaison coming into the room, uh, checking out what they need. There's a teacher coordinator. This, this person is recruiting teachers, maintaining our teacher schedule uh, for a period of months. Uh, we've got somebody responsible for resource bins. What is that? Um, remember all those props, all those um, tangible uh, visual aids? Well. There is a, a plastic bin in which, remember I said there's a creation room, an anatomy room, an L room. There is a plastic bin for each of those rooms that has every visual aid that is needed uh, that can fit in that box. And it sits on a shelf in our media center. And when it's time for that, for the NOAA class to come up and be taught, that box is brought out of the media center, put in the classroom, everything you need to try to, uh, to teach. So somebody is, is responsible for maintaining uh, the, uh, the stock of those bins, the location of those bins, classroom supplies like glue and crayons and all that stuff you have to have for little kids. Room decorations. Remember I said we teach for 20 weeks? We've got five classrooms. The kids rotate four weeks into each room. Well, that's 20 weeks. Then what? Uh, well, you've got to have a group of people who can come in after 20 weeks, take all of that stuff out, put all new stuff in for the next 20 weeks, and they've got two weeks to do it. Um, and so that's, that's, that's their responsibility is is, is coming up with new stuff to put in there, but making sure all of that uh, is changed out. We've got those who create attendance charts uh, for the classrooms. We've got people that are responsible for teacher training. Um, and uh, we, we do regular teacher training because it's a different kind of program. We wanted to know uh, how it works. We've got Wednesday night coordinator, Wednesday night helpers. Wednesday nights, um, we, are, we are following up on the same thing that we taught on Sundays, but we are reinforcing what they learned on Sundays. And so we've got people that are specially uh, assigned for those, for those tasks. We've got people who are responsible for the binder management. Um, remember I told you we put into the teacher's hands everything they need. What they need is they get an, an extra 
large binder. Um, I guess that's what it's called, extra large, extra large three, three week binder. And it literally has everything, and, and it's for four weeks. So the, uh, the, the Adam and Eve room, the Adam and Eve class, there's four lessons for it, so there's a, there's a binder. And that, that large three ring binder has everything they need for those four lessons, has the four lesson plans, has all of the handwork they're gonna need possible for those, they've gotten it from the books, they've gotten it online, it's in sheet, those uh, what are they, sheet protectors that they can take out, slap on the copy machine, make the copy, put it back in the binder, they're ready to go. Uh, but every, and, and there's a songbook, not all, there's a songbook in the back of it that has all the, the lyrics to the songs that they can listen to. Uh, on the recording, so all of that is in the binder, and those are those have to be cleaned up and, uh, and properly managed. There's that two-week period in between uh, when the rooms are being changed out, and we've got completely different people that are in charge of that two weeks in between. Um, those those not our regular teachers, but then you've got your regular teachers, and you may be thinking, how long do your teachers teach? Our teachers generally teach for 12 weeks. Um, they could teach for four weeks, they could teach for eight weeks, they could teach for 20 weeks. Uh, but they, they generally teach for 12 weeks, and so you have figured out by now, we no longer follow the quarter system. Uh, I know, that makes us really weird. Uh, you know, we, we shouldn't even have David here. They don't even use the quarter system. These people are crazy. Um, remember, thinking outside the box in order to get them inside the word. Who says we have, I'm not telling you to do away with the quarter system, but who says we have to have a quarter system? Uh, and so we that and at first we wanted to make that work. And at first we're like, well, we got to have the quarter system because I mean that's that's scriptural. You got to have the quarter system. But it just was. It, we were trying to put a square peg in a round hole, and it wasn't working. We're like, okay, get rid of that. And when we got rid of the quarter system, it was just like, oh wow, okay. Then we can do all sorts of different things. And so our teachers are generally teaching about about twelve weeks. What are we doing? Uh, I'm not going to go through all of this, but. Uh, we work on finding teachers, selecting teachers. All of our teachers, even if they're teaching cradle roll, have to fill out a teacher information questionnaire um, that, uh, that gives, them informa gives information to the elders uh, about uh, who they are and, and things that, uh, that they believe uh, from scriptures because especially for our children, we don't want somebody walking in there who's not going to be teaching them uh, the word of God. Uh, and so uh, you may think, oh, they're just teaching little kids. Yeah, they're teaching little kids. And those little kids are going to believe everything those people say. So we want to make so anyway. Uh, we tr we train the teachers uh, before each of the sessions. Uh, we equip sorry we equip the teachers um, with the binder everything they need. We evaluate them and then we try to do what we can to honor them. I know that that is just a load of information uh, to give you. I know I may not have given you a clear picture of what we are doing. But I wanted to give you kind of a vague idea of some things that we are trying um, that are a little different. But what's, go back to the question I've asked at least two or three times, what's our purpose? In our Bible school, what's our purpose? What are we trying to accomplish? Are we wanting to do the very best job we can in teaching our children the Bible? that's our goal, then the next question is, are we doing Are we doing If that's our goal, are we doing the very best? Or is there something more? We're talking about our kids. The, 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 the world marches forth on the feet of small children? Yeah. What are we doing to teach them the Word of God so that when they march forth, 
They're walking with the Lord in the process. So Bible schools. Bible schools started with the idea to train children. And they were going to train children with the Bible. And when they came to America, they were focused on evangelism. Wouldn't it be interesting if we focused our Bible classes with an evangelistic thrust and said, "That's our. we want to use this to reach out to the lost. We, we want to use our Bible classes as a means to, to bring people and say, hey, come and be a part of, of our Bible class program and bring your kids to be a part of this. Studies show where the Bible class goes, so goes the congregation. We need to effectively teach our kids. God demands it, and they desperately need it. As we think about what God said about His children back in Hosea, I know he doesn't. He says, "My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge," but essentially, he's saying, "My children are our children. Are they being destroyed for lack of knowledge?" May we do everything we can to get everybody involved, to get everybody working, and include our families. Let me mention one more thing I forgot to mention. Probably a gob of things I forgot to mention. The first page of our lesson plans. The sheet that has the objective, has the, the scripture reference, has the memory verse, has the lesson facts, has the review questions. There are multiple copies of that put in every single one of the teacher's binders. That's what we call our take-home sheet. And that sheet goes home with every one of the kids when they go home from Bible class. So that they have an eight and a half by 11 sheet that they give to their mom and dad when they leave Bible class Mom and Dad knows everything that was taught in Bible class that day. They've got the memory verse right there on the sheet of paper. They've got the seven to ten key facts. And Mom and Dad, all they've got to do is read the seven to ten review questions. The review questions are right there. All they've got to do is ask their kids to review questions. And they've got the answers because they're right there in the key facts. It's all right there for the kids to take home. And what some of our families have done is they've seen that as an opportunity to use in home devotionals and continuing to teach even those things that happen. Y'all have been very patient. You've been very attentive. I appreciate that. You may have a lot of questions. I'm happy to field a couple questions, uh, but I'm not gonna, I don't want to go too long because of uh, time tonight. But is there anything that you just really want to ask or something I've left out that if I could fill in a blank, maybe it would help to piece things together? Yes, sir. Come back where you said that the teachers taught the same thing Wednesday and Sunday. Teachers teach the same lesson to the same kids? Uh, it's, it, it's, our teachers teach, so if they teach for 12 weeks, they teach Sundays and Wednesdays. We, we used to, we used to, in the old system, we would have a teacher on Sundays and we'd have a different teacher on Wednesdays. Um, but, uh, so we've got one teacher that's responsible for all of it, but they teach, they teach the lesson on Sundays and then they, they spend time in reinforcing that lesson on Wednesday nights and that's where we're bringing in certain individuals who are responsible for uh, designing a particular craft that reinforces this, that are responsible for designing a particular review game. We've had some of our men that, that are skilled with their hands. I mean, we played Bible baseball when I was a kid in Bible class, but it was it was one of our teachers who had taken a, a, a poster board and used a marker to just, you know, we, we, we've got some of our men who, have, who and I don't think it's Bible baseball, but other things that they have created with their hands, uh, like, like Jeopardy, like Wheel of Fortune, like different things, that, that are able to go in the rooms and have a lot. They create all these review questions for the kids. And, and it's not just that one week. 
that one lesson. They're going back and reinforcing the lessons that have been building up to that as well to try to piece it all together. So Wednesday night is designed as a reinforcement night of what they did learn on Sunday and what they have been learning leading up to it. I don't know if that answers your question. Okay. Yes, sir. How did you find out what the needs were design your program? Uh, how did we decide? How did we decide? Or how did you find? How did you? How did we find out what the needs were? Uh, well, as we initially sat down with uh, with a group of maybe 15 people in the group, um, many, most of whom had taught in our Bible class program, almost all of whom were parents at, at one point or another of kids in our classes. Um, so we talked. We talked to parents of our kids. We talked to teachers. Uh, who had been teaching in our classes. We said, what's working, what's not working, what do you wish that we could do? Um, and so we, we were trying to, to gather as much uh, information from those who were kind of on the front lines, teachers, parents, uh, and, and even some of the, the older teenage kids, uh, to get some information from them and say, okay, is, is this where we need to go with this? And I, that's a good question. I mean, how do you decide what the needs are? Uh, I think it's just it's asking those people who are right there with the kids on a regular basis. And how did you find more teachers? <laughs> how did we find more teachers? Um, I the I would like to say we have found a lot more teachers. We have found more teachers. They they haven't been just busting down the doors yet. We're still praying for that. Um, but uh, we have found more teachers. And what the reason the reason it is the good news that they're hearing from other teachers who are saying how easy it is to teach. We've got, we've got some of the, those who have been teaching through our program for years and who are also uh, school teachers, kindergarten, first, second grade teachers, who, who have said, and they're not, they're not, I don't think they're saying this just to be nice, but they, they have told us what is here is the easiest thing I've ever taught. And some of them even said, I can walk in without preparing anything. We're like, don't do that. But they're like, I can walk in without preparing anything, open the binder, and I'm ready to go. Um, and so uh, that, that was the design, was to make it easy. So that when we went to a teacher, we could say, look, here's this binder. It's got everything. That, 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 that shelf of books, you don't have to go there. You know, all, all this other research. Now, we want, we're happy for them to do more. We're not telling them not to. But we're, we just want to give them a ready-made resource for everything they need. And that's been a challenge, um, but I, I think we've accomplished it. In 2010 is when we started talking about it, started developing it. Um, in 2012, we had made a little bit of progress, but we were still in the, in the design development phase. June of 2012, our elders came to us and said, y'all have been working on this for two years. What have you got? Mm -hmm. We've got a little here, we've got a little here. Uh, you know, it's starting to come together. They said, okay. January, this was June. January, we want to start. January, we're teaching this for the first time. That, that's what we needed. We needed a little uh, incentive uh, to get it going. And we have, we call them semesters, the 20, and I didn't use that word before because it's a confusing word. The 20 week periods, we call them semesters. We have 16 of those uh, in the complete cycle of it. While we were teaching, for the very first time in 2013, while we were teaching semester one, we were still writing semester two. Uh, we, 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 were, we were not ahead at all 
And so when we started teaching set the semester two, we were writing semester. I mean, we, we were not, and but we we I mean that's just that was the only way to get us going uh, was to get that get that kind of kick uh, that we needed. Yes, ma'am. Some of the encouraging things that have developed from this, um, there, there has been a lot in this, some of this is perception. Um, there, there seems to have been a growth in just the excitement of the kids about Bible class. Um, that that they, they, and especially when they're looking at, oh, I haven't been in that room. Oh, have you been in that, have you been in that room? Oh, I haven't been in that room. I can't, I can't wait till we get in that room. So, you know, they're walking down the hallway and seeing what's, but so there's an excitement, there's kind of an anticipation among some of the kids about, about what they're going to get into um, in, in these classes. The, the, the cycling every four weeks kind of gives it a freshness to the kids. And, and so I, I think that has been something that has been uh, beneficial uh, to them. Uh, just, and, and just the teachers talking about how much easier it is for them to teach. Uh, than it was before. That, that's I think that's been something. The take-home sheets. I think that's maybe one of the best things we did. Was just that that one eight and a half by eleven sheet. that has got everything that was taught. It doesn't have a narrative, but it's got the basics of what was taught that day. And it goes home. Now I know other curriculums have it. I'm not saying that's unique to us. So I please. Again, I'm not saying hey, this is great. Y'all do that. None of it's necessarily unique to us. So. I know other curriculums do that, but I just think that got the families involved. That got mom and dad involved in knowing what was going on, and, and I think that I think that was beneficial. The fact that it goes Old Testament, New Testament, that reinforces the story is super. Yeah, we of the sixteen semesters, we actually have eight Old Testament. We didn't we didn't mean to do this; it just happened. We have eight Old Testament, eight New Testament. Um, I don't know, somehow it ended up being even. Uh, but there is reinforcement even in the Old Testament of New Testament lessons and, and as you expect back and forth, but that, that's been good. I, I don't know if that answers your question. Um, thank, thank you all. I, I, hey, David, one more. You said that after the weeks are over, there's a two-week period where they take time to put it up. What do y'all do during that two-week? Chaos. <laughs> uh, um, during that two weeks, uh, we've got a room like this, uh, multi-purpose room, we call it our family room. Actually, they don't always use it. They, they sometimes use a different room. But we, they, they, why I said chaos, we take age three through grade five, and for two weeks, they're all together. Um, they're all together in the same room, and it is, it is a vacation Bible school-like atmosphere. Uh, and when I say that, there's a lot of singing, there's a lot of activities, but what the, the, the original design of that two weeks was to say, okay, here's 20 weeks. You all just learned these 20 weeks. And so the teaching that's happening, the Bible instruction that's happening in those two weeks is these 20 weeks. Is did we learn this? All right, reinforcing this. And then going back beyond that to make sure that we're not forgetting what we learned, you know, three semesters and, and just bringing some of the basics in. And then just a little bit of a preview. Guess what you're getting ready to learn about? Just a little bit. So, but, uh, and that's why we've got a special group of people that their, their task is those two weeks because it wears them out. Um, so, but that's Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, four, four, four class sessions. And, and I, I don't think they're always in the, the family room. I think sometimes we've got some other large adult classrooms. 
that I, I think they all they also use those just to keep them a little more confined. Um, but good question. Was there not <coughs> a million dollar question? Oh You've boy. Been doing it for, for since 2012, is that right? Yeah. Teaching since January of 2013. I got 11 years old. Correct? Yes, sir. How's your Sunday school? Are they growing? Are there more involvement in your kids? Or are they bringing in other kids? Has it been, has it caused growth in the Sunday school program? Other than, they're, they're learning men deeper, but is it growing in the Sunday school program? Uh, initially, I would say yes, it did. Um, that there was there was a surge um, of of numerical growth uh, initially. I'm not sure that we have maintained that. To be honest, I'm not sure we have maintained that. Now, that also may not be the Bible school. It may be the fluctuation that we've just had in the congregation itself. Um, so, you know, it, it has not had maintain that numerical surge that we saw initially. Um, uh, you know, it, it has it has brought in, there have been, the, uh, to your question, they, they have been inviting some of their friends. I, you know, I have met kids that I, I have no idea who they are uh, coming coming in for the Bible class because they're, they're, the members of the church, their children, have, have invited their friends to come and be a part of it. Now, they could have been doing that before, and I just didn't know it. Um, but uh, for sure, they've been they've been doing that, and a lot of them do it, especially on Wednesday nights. You know, because they're hanging out with their friends already on Wednesday, and so a lot of them are bringing them, especially on Wednesday nights, uh, for those reinforcement nights. So, uh, I mean, you're right; it's a million dollar question, and I'd love to stand up here and say, "Yep, we've doubled our attendance, and we're continuing to surge." Um, but uh, I, I have not seen that. But again, I think it's more the ebb and flow of the congregation as a whole. Uh, and it is of, of the children, the education. And, and I, what, I, what I mean by that is our, if I go back, this 2023, if I go back 11 years, we have fewer kids in our congregation now than we had 11 years ago. And I'm not just saying a few fewer, a lot fewer kids in our congregation than we had 11 years ago. Um, part, part of that is, uh, um, part of that, again, is ebb and flow of the congregation. Part of that is we lost a lot of young adults during COVID because they figured out they could work from home and why live in Palm Beach County, Florida, paying what we pay for stuff down there when they could go anywhere else and be a lot cheaper. So we lost a lot of key families then, but that's, that's, that is a, a, a possi possible factor, not necessarily, but, but I have not seen our number of kids this low in our congregation in my life and I've been in my whole life. So. I don't know if that answers. It's kind of depressing, I guess. <laughs> yes, Mine isn't a question. I just wanted to reinforce what you were saying about how easy it is. I've been through a program like this. Actually, I helped develop a program like this. And after a few teachers went through it, I had no problems filling the teaching job. And we did it for Vacation Bible School and I had to convince the elders that this was going to include more of the congregation. And after the first one, we had an 89% participation by the congregation. And our vacation Bible school, I was there for three years and we moved then. But it grew and grew and grew and grew. 
Yeah. Unbelievably. Good, good. And, and I hope what you also saw in this is um, what, what you have called this weekend is everyone um, uh, involved, what, sorry, engaged. I just, everyone engaged, uh, engaging everyone for eternity. And I hope what you saw in the list of people that we have involved is how many adults this has gotten involved in the education program. Whereas, you know, we had a handful before, but there, there is a whole structure of people that are involved in different parts of this to keep it in the development and in the, in, the, in the operation of it. That has been, to your question, that has been one of the side benefits, you know, is, is to say here, here are people involved in, in room decoration who may not have been doing a whole lot before. Here are people involved in this facet who may not have been working, you know, the, the, all the, so different people have different uh, interests and we were able to plug some different people in. Thank you all very much. You've been very patient and attentive tonight.